Good to see everyone here tonight. Hope you've had a better week than I've had. <laughs> I've had a little bit of a sinus infection the past couple of days, and so I'm going to try to preach with a cough drop in my mouth. So <laughs> I got a couple of shots yesterday. I'm feeling a lot better today than I was the last two days, so I'm thankful I could be here tonight. And uh, I know several other people that's also got some issues. We'll share that after the end of the service. You know, I'm sure most of us, we, we love to take those special trips, uh, especially family vacation, getaways, and uh, I always love to do that. But as you know, for it to happen, there's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot of preparation. The time, the place, the means of travel, money has to be saved, reservations have to be made, baggage has to be packed, house has to be cleaned and organized. How many of you do that? How many of you clean your house before you go on vacation? I'm glad we're not the only one. I, I know that's the way I was raised. Before we went on a trip, we had to clean the house. And uh, what, I, what my parents always told me, if something happens to us, and uh, something has to come back to, to our house to get our things, well, it's nice and clean. <laughs> so, But the closer you get to that day of departure after you make all this preparation, the more exciting it gets. You start ticking the days off on the calendar as you anxiously wait for that departure. And you ask the kids, are you ready? You got your bags packed? Is your room cleaned and organized? Well, tonight I want to preach on the greatest family vacation ever. And uh, that is when Jesus comes to take us back to be with him. I'm going to preach tonight a message on the rapture and one vacation that will last for all eternity. There's no end to it. And the closer we get to it, the more excited we should be. So my title tonight is, Are You Ready? Are you ready? Do you have your bags packed? Is your house in order? Are you ready for Jesus to come? And I felt like the Lord would have me to preach on this topic and taking a break from 1 Corinthians once again for a week. And uh, especially in light of what's going on in Israel, and what's on people's minds, and I feel like this is an important topic that we look at tonight. And, you know, people ask me, Pastor, do you believe that the coming of Christ is near? And I'd say, absolutely. Uh, I've always believed that. I always believe that uh, the Lord's coming is near. And, and it's not just because of what's happening in the world around us. Things are revving up, accelerating, and uh, but... I believe that because of what the Bible teaches. And you think about the last two verses in the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 and 21. The last two verses in the Bible. This is how the story ends in the scripture. And I love the ending of the scripture. And it's an important truth. It says in verse 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So the one that testifies these things, uh, the one that gives this revelation in, in the book of Revelation is Jesus himself. He, he gives this to John, the apostle, and, and he said, Surely, these are some of his last words that he spoke to the apostle John at the end of Scripture. This is the last book of the Bible, the last that was given. He said, Surely, I come quickly. So wouldn't you think that that's an important topic, if that's one of the last things he ever said that's written in Scripture? I want to just uh, say that this word quickly, it means without delay, soon, or suddenly. 
And what's interesting is the English word quickly is taku in the Greek. I put it up there on the slide for you. And taku is where we get the word taco. We have the word tachometer. You know what a tachometer is, Brother Trapper? You know what that is, don't you? Sure you do. And tachometer, the RPMs of your, your vehicle. Uh, it's, uh, you know when your car is revving up, that thing's moving. <laughs> That's your tachometer. And so I want you to think about this thought. It means suddenly, and it points to a time of revving up. So Jesus is basically saying that his return is going to come suddenly when things are revving up, when things are accelerating. And we see this happening in the world all around us. And so I want you to turn now to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to take our text in Matthew 24. I'm going to read verse 32 through 44. Matthew 24, 32 through 44. This is part of Jesus' Mount of Olives discourse. Talking about the end times. It says in verse 32, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and pitted forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Father, we ask you to bless your word tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as we consider personally this question, are you ready? Lord, help us to take heed to the scriptures, take heed, Lord Jesus, to what you spoke to your disciples. How that we need to watch and be ready and be serving. Our time is short. We thank you for your word tonight and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he begins with this parable of the fig tree and you know the fig tree had a regular cycle of growth according to the seasons and whenever the leaves would come forth from the fig tree they always knew that summer was near. I mean that was just one of the indications that summer was near and so Jesus uh, he, he says so when you shall see all these things know that it is near even at the doors. Now what's he talking about? What is near? Well in the first 31 verses he is speaking of his second coming. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to distinguish the second coming from the rapture in a little bit. But the second coming, when he comes to earth the second time. And that's what all those verses up to this point are about. It's about Israel, the Jews, about the temple, 
uh, about the last seven years on earth before his second coming. What I find interesting in that section in verse 8, he says, when he talks about some of the things and characteristics before the time, the end times when he comes, says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And what's interesting, the word sorrows here, is a word that means birth pains. And it speaks of a woman that has those Braxton Hicks contractions. Now those, those of you women here tonight that have had born children, do you know what Braxton Hicks are? It's, it's not meaning that birth's about to happen. It's, it's your uterus exercising, preparing for birth to come. And so uh, it's something that goes on for some time. It can go on for weeks. Uh, before birth actually happens. So the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains is what he is saying here. And uh, you think about as it gets closer to the time to give birth, those contractions, they accelerate, they rev up. Am I right? And, and then birth happens. Well, that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing the birth pains of the second coming before our eyes. And so as these signs start to rev up, we know that our redemption draweth nigh. You know, going back to verse 32 through 35, in those few verses there, Jesus is saying that as we begin to see some of these signs of his second coming, we can logically conclude that the rapture is near. And the reason that is is because the rapture comes before the second coming. The rapture actually comes before uh, many of these events that are talked about in the great or the tribulation period. And I'll try to explain more of that in just a minute. But And so as we start to see a lot of signs happening, and, and again, I want to say that the rapture is not preceded by signs. We're not looking for signs. We're looking for a savior. But as we see signs coming of the second coming, there are signs of the second coming, then we can logically say that the rapture is near. It's, it's uh, getting close. So let me just uh, clarify the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Sometimes the second coming is called the revelation. And revelation means an unveiling. Jesus is going to be unveiled one day before all the world. He's going to be seen. Every eye is going to see him. Revelation 1-7 tells us that. That's his second coming. That's not the rapture. And so there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. But we do know that there's two comings, right? His first coming, his second coming. And I, I don't really have a lot of time, but... If you would, let's, let's just look briefly at Daniel chapter 9. This is the, one of the key uh, prophetic passages about the end times and helps us to understand the timing that's given in Revelation. There's two segments of 1260 days, three and a half years each, making a total of seven years. So that tribulation period, we know, is seven years. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from Daniel 9. It says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, he's talking about Daniel's people, Israel, upon thy holy city. He's talking about Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecies and to anoint the most holy. So he says 70 weeks. Now I want you to understand the word weeks is a Hebrew word that means sevens. So basically, all scholars agree that this is 70 sevens. So years, seven years, 70 successions of seven years. And so 70 times seven, if you know your math, is 490 years. Okay, let's move on. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Now I want to just stop. Cyrus gave the command. And if you read in, in Isaiah here recently, I think it was Isaiah 
45, I may be, it's somewhere in there. That, remember God said that Cyrus was his anointed and God had called him and chosen him and that he was going to give the command to rebuild the temple even though Cyrus didn't know God. And uh, so Cyrus would give that command and I, I didn't write down the years but it's interesting that from the year that Cyrus wrote that or gave that command, that decree until the time Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday it was exactly 483 years. Now let's, let's look at this. He says, uh, Unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So basically, seven weeks, three score and two weeks is 69 weeks. It said the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So why the seven weeks is seven times seven, 49 years. It's going to take 49 years to rebuild and the streets are going to be built again, the wall. And then it says, after three score and two weeks, another 62 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. So, 483 years, Messiah is going to be cut off. And it said, but not for himself, but for the people of the prince, shall, and the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the blood. And unto the end... The war of the war, desolations are determined. And he, the prince of the people that come, that shall destroy Jerusalem, he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one, one week. Now we know that prince to be the Antichrist. And he's going to confirm with one week. So that's the last seven. Remember, there's 70 weeks. 69 weeks, 483 years to Messiah the prince. That's his first coming. And that first coming, we often think it happened when he was born, but no, the first coming in the sense of Scripture was the day that he walked into, or rode on the donkey into Jerusalem, according to Zechariah 9.9, as the king. And they, that was the only time Jesus allowed them publicly to worship him as the king. And so that was, that was the first coming. He... And I want you to think about the first coming, just a minute. Just according to that, Jesus is coming to Israel in a physical presence up from the Mount of Olives in through the Eastern Gate as king. That's important to understand. He's coming there as the king or the prince. And you can read more about it in Matthew 21. The first 11 verses talk about the actual bit of him coming lowly upon a colt. Well, it's interesting in Matthew 23, at the end of Matthew 23, if you want to turn there, right before our text chapter, in verse 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. So he's saying that, you know, they rejected him. He came, and they rejected him at this first coming. But notice what he says, For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he's speaking to Israel. In this verse, he's talking about his second coming, which is just like the first coming. He's coming to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives, and he's going to enter into Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. Only that time, on the second coming, he's going to come on a horse. So both comings are very similar in that they're both to Jerusalem, they're both to the Mount of Olives, into the Eastern Gate of as king to sit on the throne of David. Now the first coming he was rejected. The second coming according to Zechariah chapter 12. He is going to be received by Israel. You know Zechariah 14.4 tells us that that's the reference. If you want to write it down Zechariah 14.4. 
when it talks about his feet, it's going to touch, set or stand. Actually, it said stand up on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split, and there's going to be a valley from east to west. It's going to cleave in the mist toward the east and the west. The purpose of the second coming is to destroy all his enemies. And he's going to reign from the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years after that. So that's the first and second coming. They're both physical comings to Jerusalem, to Israel, and the Mount of Olives. They're both same in that sense. So both the first and second coming are a physical coming of the Messiah to Jerusalem. Now, I want to just mention, going back to Daniel, you don't have to turn there, but so there's 70 weeks are determined to finish this. And so, 69 weeks until the Messiah came, and he entered into the city, and then he was, he was cut off, he was crucified. Now, where is that last week? Where is the 70th week? Well, the time clock was stopped. When Christ was rejected, the, the time clock of prophecy stopped as far as the 70th week is concerned. And we are now in that period called the church age, where Jesus is calling out a people for his name. I want you to look in Acts 15, when they were having that council at the church in Jerusalem. And James was speaking... In verse 13, after they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken to me. Simon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to disagree the words of the prophets as it is written. Now listen to this. After this, I will return. And will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, said the Lord, who doeth these things. I'm going to stop there. But So right now, he's, the focus is on the Gentiles. The gospel's going into all the world. He's taken out of people for his name. But he says after this, he's going to return. So we're, we're in that period right now between the 69th and 70th week. The 70th week is going to kick into place when? Right after the rapture. And the reason we know that is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and then you go into chapter 5. So he talks about the rapture in chapter 4, 13 through 18. Then he comes in chapter 5 and talks about the day of the Lord. And so what he's saying is that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, let me just, and I know I'm going through this quickly, but I have to, I'm sorry. But if you have questions, please see me after church. But the day of the Lord, according to the Old Testament and what the Scripture teaches about it, it's a, it's a period of time. It, it's not a single day, like a 24-hour day. And the day of the Lord starts at the beginning of that 70th week, and it goes all the way through the, through the tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, the judgments, all the way through a thousand year millennium on earth. So that whole period is called the day of the Lord. It's God's day. He's going to be glorified in that day. And right now, it's Satan. Satan's having his heyday, but God's day is coming. And so... The day of the Lord is a day that it's a period of time. And right now, we are in what's called the last days. And it's a period of time that started actually right after the resurrection of Christ and it, it, all the way up to where we are now, all the way up until the rapture. And uh, there is a term in Scripture in Philippians called the day of Christ. The day of Christ is different from the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is the rapture. Uh, Christ is going to come for his church. We're going to be caught up and then it's going, to, it's going to kick in the day of the Lord. That's when the 70th week is going to kick in. That's when it's going to start that last final period that Jesus said in Matthew 24 that that day 
And that time is going to be so bad. Look at verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So it's going to be so bad that if the Lord didn't shorten it, nobody would survive it. It's going to be a horrible time of outpouring of judgment. Now, I want to just say that having said all that, the clearest sign that the coming of the Lord is near is the regathering of Israel into their homeland. I'm sure that many of you here tonight know the history that in AD 70, just as Jesus said in Matthew 24, he, in verse 2, he told them, do you not see all these things? These, these, he's talking about the temple. There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's predicting the destruction of the temple. And it happened in 70 AD. Just some less than 40 years after he ascended back to heaven. The, gov or the uh, general Titus, he was a Roman general, came in, captured Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed uh, the Jewish temple in fulfillment of what Jesus said. And for the next 1,878 years, the Jews were scattered all across the globe. 1,878 years. There was no nation. There was no nation of Israel. And, and this was all according to the prophecies in Ezekiel and other scriptures that talked about that they were going to be scattered all over the world. But beginning in the early 20th century, a few Jews started trickling back into Palestine at the risk of their lives. Then after World War II, you know, during that war, 1941-45, over 6 million Jews were executed by what is known as the Holocaust. 6 million. Well, right after that, in 1948, the British government was given authority over Palestine and Israel became a nation once again through the action of the United Nations. And by the way, with the support of the United States of America. So in 1948, Israel became a nation once again and all in fulfillment of prophecy. And 2,600 years ago, Prophet Ezekiel pre predicted this event. I want you to look at Ezekiel in chapter 37. In Ezekiel chapter 37, it says in verse 21, And I say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided in two kingdoms any more at all. And I want to also mention Amos chapter 9. I'm going to read Amos 9, 14 and 15. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They also shall make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant upon them their land. And they shall no more be pulled out of their, or pulled up out of their land which I have given them, said the Lord thy God. I want you to notice this. They shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them. Do you know that Iran right now and Hamas and Hezbollah, their intent is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's what they say. That's what they're saying. That's what their documents are saying. That's what they're saying in news stories. That is their intent. But the scripture says that they will not be pulled up out of their land which I have given them. 
they will be there until the end time scenario plays out. Now, I want you to think about this. There's a lot of things in Matthew 24 that require Israel to be a nation before Jesus could come back. Because he's coming back to Jerusalem, right? He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. He's coming back to enter in through the Eastern Gate. There's going to be a temple where the Antichrist is going to desecrate halfway through that seven-year tribulation. You see, the, the Bible's full of prophecies. Uh, all these end-time prophecies involve Israel. You think about the battle of Armageddon, the thousand-year reign of Christ, all of these things. And so until 1948, these prophecies were meaningless. There were people before 1948, even Baptists, that were teaching that Israel replaced the church. I'm sorry, the church replaced Israel. I had it backwards. Uh, that they believe that we are Israel. But that is not true. That is not true. They're distinct. The church is not Israel and Israel is not the church. They're absolutely distinct. You know, you think about the return into their land, becoming a nation. That is the clear sign that we're close to the coming of Jesus Christ. Even the preservation of their language is a miracle. For centuries, Hebrew was a dead language. It wasn't speak, spoken anywhere in the world. But just in the last century, this dead language has been resurrected. Now millions of Israelites speak Hebrew. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Author Milton B. Lindbergh, he wrote this, Without the existence of the nation of Israel, we would not be able to say with certainty that we are in the last days. That single event, more than any other, is the most prominent sign that we are living in the final moments before the coming of Jesus. The Hebrew people have been called, called God's timepiece of the ages. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Now I want to just say that the rapture, let's, let's come to the rapture now. I've talked about the first and second coming and how Israel is, is so vital to those, the fulfillment of the second coming. There can be no second coming without Israel being a nation. But the rapture is the coming of Jesus in the air to catch away the church, which is his bride, before the seven-year tribulation. Let's look at some scriptures on that real quickly. By the way, Jesus did teach about the rapture. I want the most familiar passage you probably know is John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. There he's saying, I'm going to come get you. I'm, I'm going to come and receive you. And so he, he mentions it. He doesn't give a lot of details about it. But when we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's look at that passage I referenced earlier. Verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that means those that are, have died, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So I hope you get what he's saying here. Those who have died in Christ, their body is asleep in the grave waiting the resurrection. Their souls with Jesus, he said he's going to bring them with him. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, meaning will not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be at the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So notice, where is the meeting? Is it at Jerusalem? No, it's in the air. 
It's in the air. So you see the difference? Now look at 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to notice this passage. It says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning we're not going to all die, but we shall all be changed. Whether you die or live at the coming of Jesus, we're all going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. Now I'm going to just stop there, but it, I want you to notice something that Paul says. I want to show you a mystery. Now what is a New Testament mystery? A New Testament mystery is a truth that it was hidden to the Old Testament saints. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. You will not find the rapture in the Old Testament. You will find the first and second comings of Christ. You will find passages about the millennium. You'll find passages about his first coming. I mean all of it. You'll find, but you will not find the rapture. It was hidden. And so it's a truth that was hidden, but is now revealed to the New Testament saints by the apostles and prophets. And as I said, Jesus, even though he referenced, made references to the rapture, he didn't speak of it clearly. It wasn't clearly expounded until the epistles when the apostle Paul expounded upon it. You know, going back to Matthew 24, the disciples were asking three questions in, in that chapter, the early part of that chapter, verse 3. They said, tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and what shall be the sign of the end of the world. And he begins this passage, this message to them, answering that third question, what shall be the sign of the end of the world. So verses 4 through 28 he is answering that question. And I'm not going to elaborate on that. I'm just, I'm just basically giving you an outline of this chapter, okay? So you might want to write it down for later study. So verses 4 through 28, he's answering the third question, what shall be the sign of the end of the world? Then the second question, what shall be the sign of thy coming? He gives in verses 29 through 31. But he doesn't answer the first question when they ask, when, tell us when these things shall be. He, he, they asked two what questions, but the first one was when. He doesn't answer that until we get through verse 36. Now, I want, to, I want to look at verse 36. Notice that first word, but. He says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. This, this but is, there, it's suggesting that this is a new section. It's related to the previous section. But it's a new section. He's going to deal with application. I, I love how Jesus preaches. He gives the truth. And then he gives application. He applies it. And so when you get to verse 36. Through the end of this chapter is all application. How, how are we to apply these truths about the second coming? And I believe that this application references the rapture and I'm going to explain why in Matthew 24 in these first 35 verses he talks about all these signs all these warnings he gives all kinds of signs and some of them have been going on for years I mean you think about there's been deceivers there's been false cries there's been wars rumors of wars uh, pestilences, earthquakes, I, I mean all those things, beginning of sorrows, they're ramping up, they're revving up, but there's some things that have not, we've not seen, for example, 
we've not seen verse 15 the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel that's the Antichrist that's not, that's not happened yet because we've not seen that last seven-year tribulation happen yet there are some things that that haven't happened but Jesus is spending this first 35 verses telling about all these signs and that they can know that the time is near by all these signs the emphasis on the word no they can know this because uh, verse 33 so likewise ye when ye shall see all these things know that it is near even at the doors so he's saying we can know by these signs right but notice the difference in verse 36 in obvious contrast he says for that day and hour knoweth no man you know the rapture has no signs that precede it the second coming does have signs you know I, let me just let me just throw this at you since we know it's seven years the last seven years of what's called the tribulation the day of Jacob's trouble we know at three and a half year point according to Revelation that's when the Antichrist is going to sit in the temple and the last three and a half years is the great tribulation we know that from second Thessalonians we know that from Revelation we know that from Daniel so let's say when we see that abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about he said then let them in Judea flee into the mountains they could count down three and a half years and know when he's going to come to earth right I mean logically speaking you can just count three and a half years and this is when he's going to come so that's why I'm saying that when he shifts it to the application to me it seems like the application pertains to the rapture and uh, I've, I've said this before but the rapture we'll put it up on the screen the rapture is not preceded by signs but the second coming is preceded by signs that's the difference between the two and here when he says but of that day and hour knoweth no man you know in the previous uh, section he mentions days in verse 19 verse 22 uh, verse 29 plural days but here in verse 36 it's singular and it's very well possible that he's talking about the day of the Lord the day of the Lord and I've already told you that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night right right after Paul talks about the rapture in 1st Thessalonians 4 let's go back to 1st Thessalonians I, I want you to see it don't take my word for it but look in your Bibles and see what it says after the, talking about the rapture, he says, But, in verse 1 of chapter 5, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are children of light and children of day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. So, you know, this, this day begins, this day of the Lord that comes as a thief in the night to the world. What kicks it off? The rapture. <laughs> the day of Christ. Can you imagine what's going to happen that day? The millions of Christians are just disappear. Just like Jesus said, there's two in the field. One is taken what is left you know it's interesting the word taken in the Greek means that that taken means like to be received and taken with and in fact it's translated some verses receive and so like in fact the same word taken in Matthew 24 when it's talking about that in verse 40 and uh, also verse 41 that same word taken is translated received in John 14 3 I will receive you unto myself I will take you unto myself the word left means to leave desolate and so 
it's obvious to me he's talking about the rapture that those that are taken are taken with him received by him those that are left are going to go through that seven years of tribulation uh, when they're saying peace and safety then come into sudden destruction So verses 36 to 44 describe the imminent, unpredictable rapture of the saints, which will usher in the day of the Lord. See, he's answering the wind. When, when are these things going to happen? When are these end time events going to happen? As soon as the rapture happens. And we don't know that day or hour when it's going to happen. But as soon as it does happen, that's when it's going to kick in this last week of Daniel's this Daniel's 70th week that's when it's going to kick in he's, he's answering when when it's going to all happen well because of time I'm going to have to move on so I want to give I want to give application from these verses verse 36 through 44 real quickly three, three applications for us tonight a lot of that was just kind of laying a groundwork because some of it may be new to you. But the first point is this. We cannot know the day nor the hour, but we know, we do know he is coming soon. Now, I'm talking about the rapture when I'm, by the way. We do not know the day or the hour. We can't predict the day or the hour. We can't say, well, he's coming on this day, this year. We can't because the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But we do know he's coming soon. We do know he's coming soon because he promised that. He said, I come, behold, I come quickly. And we do know things are revving up all around the world. I mean, just think about it. right now the push for global reset, the push for global digital currency, the push for AI technology, the push for all these things that take away our rights to globalize the whole world. It's, it's all a setup for Revelation 13, the Antichrist. It's all a setup for him to reign. It's all, it's all setting up. The stage is being set and it's accelerating. And so, as we see these things, all it tells us is it's, it's near. It's near. And did you know that we're 2,000 years closer to the coming of Christ than the Apostle Paul was? And yet he lived looking for the blessed hope. He lived loving his appearing. He lived as if Christ could, could have come in his day. How much more should we be looking for Christ? How much more should we be waiting for him to come? We can't know the day of the hour, but we know it's coming soon. Number two, we cannot know the day of the hour, but we do know some characteristics of that time. You know, in this text, Jesus tells us something. I want you to look in verse 37. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It says, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be so he likens the days before the flood that's what it's going to be like the days before he comes you know we could go to Genesis 6 and look at some of the characteristics of Noah's day but I don't think that's Jesus' point you know, we could look at the population explosion at that time, demonic activity, moral corruption, violence filled the earth, and on and on. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point he's making here is that they, don't, they didn't know the dare to hire. And not only that, but it, they didn't care. They didn't care because look what it says. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. What, what is it saying that it's, what it's saying is they were so absorbed in normal pursuits of life that they were not heeding Noah's preaching. They were indifferent to it. To eternity, to serving God. Noah was preaching for 120 years, message of judgment. He, he preached about a coming flood. But they were just... No, they, 
They just didn't regard it at all. They just were indifferent. It's not that they didn't know it was coming. They didn't care. Wouldn't you say that that's pretty much the case today? Don't you think a lot of people today, and I'm talking about nominal Christians and even true Christians, we know the judgment's coming. I even think a lot of lost people know that there's going to be a day of reckoning. But do they live as if it's true? Or are they indifferent to it? Like they don't really care. Well, that's what the point Jesus is making. They were just living their lives normal. They were not expecting judgment to come. And they did not know, it says, until the flood came and took them all away. You know, aside, even a lot of Christians today, too busy with the normal pursuits of life, that they're indifferent to even serving Christ. Putting other things before Jesus. Let's look at this third one. We cannot know the day or the hour, but we do know that when he comes, it will be suddenly. Suddenly. That's what that word quickly means, suddenly. It's, it's going to happen suddenly. And that's what we see in these verses. The blood happened suddenly, and they were unprepared. And it, it just, just like that. You read this story, you know, I love reading that story. After God said, come thou, Noah, you and all your family coming into the ark. I love that because that's the invitation, right? He said, come on up here into the ark. And they, they, they obeyed and they came. And then it says the Lord shut the door. That, that's salvation. Jesus is the ark of our salvation. He says, come unto me. All you that labor and heavy laden. Those that answer and come to Christ, he saves them. Well, when the Lord shut the door, guess what? The flood came. It was too late. It was too late for the rest of the world. They were unprepared. It came suddenly. And that's what it's going to be like when Christ comes in the rapture. It's going to be so sudden. Paul said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, do you realize how fast that is? That is fast. I can't remember. I, I, I used to know how fast it was. It's like one two thousandth of a second or something like that. I mean, it's real fast. I mean, we're going to be just like that. We're going to be gone. It's going to be sudden. You know, I think about those Israelis on Saturday morning. They're on this border. <coughs> Excuse me. They're in the south, south of Israel, bordering Gaza. Imagine being woke up to your door being kicked down and your whole family being slaughtered before your eyes. That's suddenly. I mean, they didn't expect it to happen, did they? They weren't prepared for that. It was a surprise. It was as a thief in the night. It came just that sudden. And listen, that's how the rapture is going to be. It's going to be that sudden, unexpected. And so that's why I asked the question, are you ready? Do you know for sure tonight that Jesus is your Savior? That is the most important question that you could ask yourself. There's no more important question in life than that because because of what Jesus teaches this is not my teaching this is what Jesus teaches we don't know the day or the hour it could come so sudden the question is are you ready do you know beyond shadow of doubt that Jesus is your Lord and Savior have you repented of your sin and put your faith in him but let me ask the second question are you ready child of God or you may be saved, but are you ready for his coming? I mean, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know that as soon as we're raptured and taken up, what's going to take place during that seven years? 
Well, one, one of the things that's going to happen is the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged according to our works for the loss of, or gain of reward. We're not going to be judged for our sins. That was nailed to the cross for our works. Are they going to be burned up? Or are they going to bring forth reward? You know, in verses 43 to 51, we didn't read to the end of this chapter... But basically, these verses teach us three things as believers. The first one, to watch. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch. Because he says, but know this, if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken up. So that's the first thing. Stay awake. Be alert. And this is an imperative verb. Watch is an imperative verb. It's a command. Watch. The second imperative is found in verse 44. Ready. Be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man come. He's going to come not at a time we think he's coming. We may be thinking, oh, he's, he's going he's to be coming here in the next month. We don't know. He could. He's, he, but it says here he's going to come in an hour you think not. So be ready. Be ready. How, 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 how do you be ready? By being saved. Spiritually prepared to meet Jesus. But you know the third thing we get from this passage? Keep serving faithfully. I want you to notice verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord had made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Did you know this is the last beatitude in Matthew? Blessed is that servant. You know, I, I want you to think about this, and then we're going to close in prayer. Some people get the idea that if the rapture's near, we need to just sit at home and wait for it to happen, that we just... There's no need to plan or no need to have a vision for reaching people for Christ over the next, let's say, five years because we're thinking, well, he's going he's gonna to come within the next year, so there's, I'm not even going to plan out that far or whatever. But I want you to notice here that the best way that we ready ourselves for the coming Lord is to be a faithful and wise servant. To be found doing when he comes. To be serving him faithfully to what he's called us to do. That's how we, be, that's how we ready ourselves. I, I think Brother Jason said it so well in that song they had. I, I'm trying to remember the name of that song when he was here, but, you know, about fighting on and... and, and uh, he is talking about how something that, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but God didn't call us to get on a mountain with a white sheet waiting for the rapture. No, he, we're to serve, preach the gospel, be a witness, follow Jesus, walk with Jesus. Uh, that's how we ready ourselves. And so I ask again tonight, are you ready? Are you ready for Christ to come? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who's declared the end from the beginning. Lord, we've read some of those truths in Isaiah this past week. How your counsel shall not fail. What you've declared to be the end, it will one day come to pass. And Lord, as we read your word, we, we see these promises of the coming of Jesus and the application 
of how we need to take it to heart and be ready to be ready because we know not the day or the hour they would be ready by knowing Christ as our Savior they would be ready by watching being faithful being that servant that's serving you faithfully the calling that you put upon our lives that we would be faithful to carry that out Lord I thank you thank you for your word for warning us of what's to come and Lord I do pray for Israel I pray for what they're going through for all the lives that are being lost I'm sure many of them are lost and Lord I just pray for your people that are in Israel and I even have to believe that you have people in Palestine in Gaza uh, I really believe that you probably have people there Lord may they shine his lights in this dark time that they're going through Lord may your may, may your people witness of the hope that we have in Christ Lord I, I just pray the end of this violence and I pray God that Lord that your will be done in it you'd accomplish what you purpose Lord I know you're a merciful God and God I, I think it's just one more reminder of the frailty of life the need for us to be ready to meet the Lord and so Lord help us to take this to heart tonight and I pray in Jesus name Amen